very, very happy they both accepted our invitation to Melting Pot. Uh, first, uh, General Petr Pavel, a Czech general who... <laughs> I, I, I see, I don't, see, I don't have to do much of the, <laughs> of the introduction. The second guest is uh, David Wetham. He's a professor of military ethics at uh, King's College in London. Uh, it's a kind of a funny story. We met absolutely by coincidence at a party in Amsterdam a couple of months ago. <laughs> and so now he, here he comes, he is here. Um, I will <laughs> I will start with you, General Pavel. Can you please just briefly tell us a little bit about your career as a, as a professional soldier? Okay, good afternoon. And uh, first, uh, let me thank you for inviting me to uh, this uh, uh, event. Uh, I'm attending Melting Pot uh, the first time, but I uh, feel uh, honored to be among uh, the guests because uh, this event earned a good reputation over the years. So it's great to be here uh, in uh, this very open-minded forum and uh, also a great atmosphere. Uh, uh, if I am to talk about uh, military career, I would uh, say uh, very briefly, it was uh, kind of a Alice in Wonderland, because uh, I started my uh, career uh, in uh, the, uh, the military of uh, Czechoslovakia, a member of uh, Warsaw Pact, uh, aimed uh, uh, against uh, NATO, uh, working on plans uh, how to uh, quickly intervene uh, since I was a member of Special Forces since the beginning. Uh, and our task uh, was to disrupt as much as possible uh, the rear uh, uh, of uh, NATO troops. And uh, when uh, the situation uh, turned in 1989, and uh, we eventually uh, became uh, members of uh, the very alliance against which I was trained, uh, it was a quite interesting situation. And uh, if you uh, then look uh, a couple of uh, years uh, uh, forward uh, when uh, I uh, was uh, elected by my peers as uh, the chairman of a NATO military uh, committee. Uh, what a change in one lifetime. Uh, so uh, it was briefly a uh, military career. Now I am a happy military pensioner. David, I would like to ask you, what is military ethics and how did you get to into that profession? You know, tell me a little bit about your background, please. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for the invite to be here. It's a, a fantastic privilege. It's my first visit to Ostrava, and it's, uh, it's an amazing place. Um, so I am an uh, academic philosopher, and I came into military ethics almost by accident, really. Um, I was doing a PhD in, um, uh, in war studies. Whilst I was doing that, I was very fortunate. I was able to do uh, a variety of different jobs to support myself as I went through. Um, so I worked as a BBC uh, researcher for a while. Um, I was deployed to Kosovo with um, the OSCE Observer Mission to help rebuild the um, civil infrastructure after the, um, after the, the conflict. Um, and um, that gave me uh, a particular insight into a lot of the issues uh, around military ethics. Um, and then I was very fortunate that uh, I was able to secure a, a position uh, with King's College London working at the UK Defence Academy, uh, which is a, a large uh, military institution uh, about an hour outside of London, where we have two to 3,000 military officers a year coming through, and we support that with a large faculty of about um, 60 to 70 full-time academics 
um, and I lead on the military ethics component there. So for a philosopher to find myself doing something extremely applied and practical is, 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 is um, a, real, uh, a real privilege. Thank you. Uh, General, I will go straight to the topic. Can you describe, uh, can you describe what is, what, or what are uh, automated weapons? What kind of systems are these? Let me first uh, make uh, one uh, li uh, very little correction. When I uh, see the title, uh, Lethal Automated Weapons, I would rather uh, call it uh, Lethal uh, 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 Autonomous Weapon. Because uh, there is a difference between automated and autonomous. Uh, and uh, we're mostly talking about uh, uh, not only weapons, but mostly systems that are able uh, to acquire, uh, identify, and engage uh, targets uh, with uh, very little or uh, no uh, human involvement. That's very brief definition. And uh, of course, uh, there are, uh, it's, it's quite a big group. And it uh, comprises uh, both uh, fully autonomous weapons and systems, uh, up to uh, systems uh, with a different uh, level of autonomy, different level of uh, human involvement. And they are all put in uh, one basket. Obviously, there is a big difference. So these are basically just machines, just hardware without any human involvement work, uh, identifying the targets and then destroying or engaging the targets. Uh, it is, it is a mix, uh, and uh, many of uh, those uh, weapons and systems already exist. Uh, they uh, are uh, with us uh, for decades. Some of them uh, are uh, working in different uh, militaries uh, for a long time, and it will be very difficult uh, to even imagine uh, effective uh, defense without them. So uh, I, I believe we'll touch uh, the issue, but uh, for example, in the area of uh, uh, missile defense uh, or, or even uh, air defense, uh, just uh, to provide uh, effective uh, defense against uh, multiple targets, it's uh, quite often beyond uh, human capabilities. Uh, we, we now had a definition. You, as a professor of ethics, do you have any problems with uh, uh, this uh, weapon system? Um, yes, but before we get to there, we need to unpack this a bit further, I think, because as the general has said quite rightly, th th there's a spectrum at, at work here when we're talking about autonomy. Um, and it's really, really easy to get it confused. Now, the general obviously is an expert in this area, but um, I do think it's, it's worth unpacking a bit further for a, a general audience, because um, there is a huge difference between automatic and autonomous. And it's useful to give perhaps some, some examples so that we're really clear what we're talking about, because you're specifically concerned today about autonomy, yeah? But what do we actually mean by autonomy? So, for example, a landmine, which is set to only go off when a certain density of metal goes over it, so only a tank goes over it, is that autonomous? It, 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 it chooses its target to some extent. It will only detonate when a certain thing happens. Does that mean it has an element of choice? We say, no, no, it's programmed to do something. Yeah, it, it, it's set. It's, it's, um, uh, when, the, when the circumstances are satisfied, then the landmine will detonate. So that's at one end of the spectrum. But some people would call that autonomy. That's not, that's not autonomy. At the other far end of the spectrum, at the very opposite end of that, is your sort of Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger type killing robot, which can choose its own targets and has complete freedom of, 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 of choice and action. 
Um, and that's what many people think of as autonomy. But firstly, we're a very, very long way from that. Um, and secondly, I don't think anybody is even suggesting that that's where we would want to go. So what we're actually talking about is something, when we're talking about autonomy, we're talking about bounded autonomy, so it still has limits, um, but we're generally talking about something which is somewhere on that spectrum, and that's, that's, what, that's what I think your, 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 your subject of conversation today is about. If I may develop uh, this idea a little bit further, uh, we uh, speak about uh, autonomous uh, systems usually uh, in uh, connection with artificial intelligence and uh, with processing of big data. Because uh, these uh, three elements uh, are very tightly linked. Uh, in fact, uh, one can exist without the other, but uh, for example, we may have a lot of uh, uh, autonomous uh, weapons, which uh, means independent on humans, but uh, totally stupid, but I think no one would like to have as uh, many, many uh, uh, independent weapons uh, which would in, uh, indiscriminately uh, pick up the targets. Uh, but uh, we can also have uh, very, uh, very s smart um, weapons uh, that uh, would always have a human touch uh, in the loop uh, that uh, would uh, make final decision. And this, this is uh, the critical issue. Uh, to what extent uh, the human uh, element is involved in, in, in the loop? Because obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, concerns uh, uh, among a number of people, and uh, there is an initiative uh, signed uh, by uh, many big names uh, who are um, against uh, uh, autonomous uh, weapons, especially those uh, who would exclude human element. That means uh, weapons that uh, would be uh, truly based on artificial intelligence, uh, the, the systems that uh, would uh, be packed with uh, sensors, with uh, analytical capability uh, that uh, would uh, actually uh, exclude uh, uh, human assessment uh, of what is uh, ethical uh, and what is moral, uh, what is right, and would uh, make uh, its own decision. And it's an uh, entirely different, different story. Um, so we heard about that. Uh, what are the ethical issues uh, issues here? Uh, because I was I was reading that many uh, militaries or many soldiers are considering it. Uh, you know that these weapons will be more precise. That there will be less collateral damage. There will be you know collateral damage meaning uh, killed civilians and and um, uh, or civilian objects. Um, that these will be better weapons and more precise weapons. Uh, uh, perhaps in a sense a safer weapons to use. What is the problem from the ethical point of view? Okay, there's, there's so many different issues in there. We're gonna have to unpack that over, over probably the next um, 45 minutes or so. Um, so, on the face of it, uh, military technology is advancing enormously quickly. Um, precision, which you've already mentioned, is at the heart of many of those um, developments. So, for example, now, um, this is one of the things that we need to unpack. Um, the, a drone operating over um, a, a hostile space is today capable of delivering lethal force with the precision that was just absolutely extraordinary. If you use that weapon in the right way, um, it can deliver lethal force exactly where it was intended uh, with very, very uh, little chance of anybody who is not 
supposed to be targeted being affected by that strike. But that's not an autonomous system. It's absolutely not an autonomous system. That is an RPAS or a, a, a remotely piloted air system. There's still somebody involved. As the general says, um, there is somebody in the loop. There is somebody making the decisions. Somebody is choosing to make those lethal decisions. And also, the point with technology is just because it's capable of being used with enormous and incredible precision does not mean that it actually will be used with enormous and incredible precision, regardless however we might like that to be the case. So, um, yes, military technology today has the potential to be used with, with uh, a level of discrimination that has, has never been available to um, humankind before. And that has got to be a good thing. Um, whether we choose to use it in that way is a separate question and obviously I would argue of course that's how we should be using such technology in the regrettable circumstances in which it is necessary to use um, lethal force at all um, but that's that's just the start of trying to unpack that question I'm sure that um, the, the general will have a, 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 a many more things to add to that um, from an, um, from an ethical concern point, one thing that immediately arises from this is because the technology offers the promise of precision, because the technology promises the ability to wage war without innocent people being hurt, one of the ethical problems with this from, from, from my perspective would be that if you rely on this tech type of technology too much, you can potentially lower the threshold at which you're prepared to go to war in the first place. Because politicians believe that they can conduct almost a bloodless war with very few risks to your own personnel and very few risks to people that you don't want to hurt, it's much easier for politicians to choose to go to war than it perhaps it has ever been before because it doesn't even look like war anymore. It's not real war because you don't have massed armies meeting on borders trying to kill each other. You don't have the body bags coming back. You don't have to deal with the fallout in a way that you would have done before. And I think lowering the threshold to war may be one of the problems with this technological path. Do you agree? And also, you know, we discussed before, there's a growing, growing opposition toward, against it. Uh, what do you, as a, as a professional soldier, what do you tell that opposition? Or what is your reaction to, to you know, different issues being raised with the autonomous weapons? First, um, I agree with the assertion that there are um, more extensive uh, deployment of uh, autonomous systems uh, might uh, lower the threshold and the willingness to go uh, go to war. Obviously, uh, it, uh, uh, there's um, uh, this uh, temptation even today uh, that a number of politicians uh, are uh, tempted to uh, go into war because it won't be them, it will be the soldiers who will be dying and civilians. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it is a fair, con a fair concern. On the other hand, uh, there are many situations even today where we can uh, successfully uh, replace uh, uh, soldiers by autonomous systems. 
and then uh, protecting uh, lives of uh, our soldiers, but uh, uh, the civilians as well, because of uh, precision, uh, because of speed uh, of uh, the system. So I think uh, uh, as uh, almost uh, nothing is definite in our lives, uh, there is uh, also no definite arguments about uh, autonomous systems. Uh, some of them uh, to uh, uh, some uh, level of autonomy will definitely be very useful, uh, uh, but uh, some uh, may be very harmful, so uh, we really have to distinguish. And um, the issue is not uh, in uh, um, the ban, general ban, uh, the issue is uh, uh, about regulation, about control and uh, common sense. Absolutely, there's so, so many more things that we can unpack yeah. here. So, um, so um, one of the um, pushes towards adopting this kind of technology is an ethical one, apart from the idea uh, that um, technology can provide um, a more discriminate way of conducting war, which has got to be something which is a good thing, less innocent people being harmed, um, less collateral damage, as the military military puts it, that, that's got to be a good thing. There's another side to this, which has already been mentioned as well, but it's worth unpacking a bit, a bit further. If it's possible to achieve the same effect, firstly, by putting your own people in harm's way to achieve that effect, or alternatively, not putting your own people in harm's way to achieve the same effect, how do you morally justify putting people in harm's way when you could do it without putting people in harm's way? Why would you insist on putting somebody in a military machine which has a very high chance of being damaged or destroyed and killing the person in the machine when you could achieve the same effect without putting the person in the machine? And that seems to me to be quite a powerful argument for when it's possible to take the people out of harm's way. We've done that throughout history, if you think about it. We've, we've attempted to, to protect our own people um, and if you're not prepared to protect your own people, just think about uh, First World War aviators. Should you give them a parachute in case their aeroplane is damaged? Anybody who says no, has, uh, I, I, is, well, I, I think you're wrong. Um, I, I, think, I think giving parachutes to aviators is, is a, a very good idea, but if you think giving parachutes to aviators so that they have a better chance of survival if their aircraft is damaged is a good thing, then how do you also argue that if you could remove the person from the aircraft completely, that would not be the right thing to do? Now, there are second and third order effects of removing people completely from these machines, but for if your starting point is it's wrong to put people in harm's way when you don't need to, it's very, very hard to argue with the idea that um, getting rid of the risk to your own people is not something which is a good thing, is it not? I want to ask you, you know, like with this, uh, what, 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 uh, what David is talking about and with this growing opposition, because I know that in 2018 this issue was discussed quite widely in the European par Parliament, that if these weapon systems will go into use, that there will be some, somebody has to regulate it, you know, how is it going to be used, somebody has to oversee it. Uh, there is even talk that these weapons can be used, I mean, can be added to, uh, you know, can be become part of uh, Geneva Conventions from 1980, which states, you know, this prohibit use of weapons with excess, um, accessory injury as weapons. Uh, do you think it's even feasible that, that uh, national armies will be actually really using these systems in the future? 
uh, widely, as, as you suggested, there may be wars just even without soldiers. Do you think this is even feasible, possible, that this is going to happen? My answer probably will uh, sound you know, uh, provocative, but uh, I believe it is inevitable. Uh, it's uh, simply the program. It is, it is where, uh, where uh, we, we are heading. Uh, in a similar way, uh, when the uh, uh, steam engine was invented, uh, the car was invented, a number of people would argue that uh, uh, this uh, will uh, lead us uh, to an impasse. Uh, but uh, uh, of course, uh, cars are killing more people than wars. Uh, but uh, but uh, do we ban the cars? Uh, uh, probably not. And uh, the same way, uh, we cannot uh, uh, prevent uh, uh, people from uh, making uh, new discoveries and inventions uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence and autonomous systems. Uh, many of them uh, are and will be uh, used uh, in a number of uh, areas uh, beyond security and defense. But of course, uh, as uh, uh, anything, uh, uh, these systems uh, can be abused. And uh, uh, we, uh, whatever measure we will take, even if uh, there is an agreement uh, to uh, uh, come up with a total ban of autonomous weapons, uh, it will be only uh, law-abiding nations uh, who would uh, uh, follow uh, the rule. There will be many actors and many nations uh, who will simply ignore it. And then uh, uh, it, will, it will put uh, uh, the remainder of us uh, into the situation where uh, we uh, will be defenseless against uh, the use of uh, these uh, systems. So we will uh, always have to consider a uh, full, uh, full picture. So uh, I would uh, see uh, more uh, of these systems uh, to be used in, in future, but I would also uh, would like to see uh, more the regulation uh, as, it, uh, as it was uh, with conventional weapons, uh, later with nuclear weapons, uh, nowadays uh, with um, uh, cyber uh, space and weapons, and uh, with uh, new autonomous uh, systems based on artificial intelligence, uh, it will have to be the same. Um, how do you see that, you know, like uh, generally saying that it's absolutely inevitable that this is coming, you know, if people like it or not. Uh, do you think this is going to be somehow regulated or should it be regulated or should it be controlled out like the use of, of that? So the wef any weapon system is already regulated. It, it's not about an additional um, level of regulation um, that would be required because this area isn't regulated. If it's a weapon, it's already regulated, whether it's a human doing the thinking or a machine, do or a machine doing the thinking. But the um, inevitability piece, I, yeah, I can't disagree with that. It, you, again, if, if we can debate about exactly what we mean by autonomous, um, and states are very, very wary about defining this area. Um, so the United Kingdom, for example, has quite deliberately defined what many people would regard as autonomous as automated. And, and, and they would refer to most of the things that we're talking about as automated, and therefore it's, it's, it, it, it's seen as a different area. Um, but an example of that would be a missile defense system that's already been mentioned. So phalanx is a, 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 a system that is used on modern frigates uh, to defend against an incoming missile strike. Now, this is a missile traveling at multiple times the speed of sound. If you're expecting somebody to stand there, look at it on a radar, decide whether it's an incoming missile or not, and then authorize the use of countermeasures, 
um, by the time they've made the decision, the frigate's already on the bottom of the sea. It's been destroyed. If you have a person making that decision, your ship is not safe. What you need to do is decide the circumstances in which you need to turn phalanx on and at that point allow phalanx to do its job, which is protect the ship from incoming missiles. And that is an automated system, an incredibly advanced automated system. It's not really autonomous though, because it will only, it will only work in certain circumstances. But the idea of this whole area getting more and more sophisticated is, is, is inevitable. If you want to protect yourself from incoming threats, you're going to need to have this type of system developing and keeping up with those threats. So they're going to get more and more advanced and more and more um, sophisticated. It's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. The rules, the law of war will still apply as they develop. But the idea that you must have a person in the loop um, is simply, it's, it's not the, f the fact that we're debating about whether or not this is going to be the case in 10 years' time. It's already the case, and it has been the case for a long time. The decision about whether or not you're going to use the system and whether you're going to turn the system off at the moment for many types of weapon system is already the limit of the person in the loop's control over that system. You, you decide whether it's on or off, but once it's on, the system is making the decisions, effectively. But this isn't still, I would argue, true autonomy, because the system itself doesn't get to expand beyond the area in which it is um, seeking to operate. Um, but if in the future, uh, in the cyber realm, you're going to need systems that are operating faster than the speed of light, way faster than any human operator can, but is also capable of um, using machine learning to respond to an incoming threat, adapt, and possibly even preempt that threat before it has manifested itself. And this is an area, I think, which has some significant um, challenges. Because if you want the system to work, it's going to have to be able to develop itself and ultimately, I suppose, do what we would think of as thinking if it's going to work. Um, how far are we do, uh, you know, from these sort of systems being implemented or being uh, put into use uh, in, in uh, armies around the world? And which countries are, do you think, the most advanced and de of developing these systems? Well, uh, among the most developed uh, countries in the area of uh, uh, autonomous weapons uh, are uh, United States, China, Russia, uh, Israel, uh, South Korea, and probably some others, uh, uh, UK, uh, France, uh, with uh, some elements. Uh, and a number of uh, uh, militaries are using uh, a different level of uh, autonomous uh, weapons even today, as uh, uh, was described, uh, the system Phalanx, which was uh, uh, originally uh, initiated by, uh, by a very concrete uh, uh, Russian threat, because uh, not only the speed of incoming missiles, but also uh, the number and uh, uh, Russians usually uh, compensated uh, insufficiency in technology by numbers. So um, uh, their uh, tactics uh, was uh, to uh, shoot as many missiles as possible. And of course, uh, with uh, 50, 60 cruise missiles coming uh, into the same uh, ship, it would be very difficult for a human operator to distinguish uh, 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 the, the sequence of targets. 
that's why that's why the system uh, had to be automated and uh, and uh, to some extent um, autonomous uh, so I believe that uh, um, the use of uh, these systems uh, will uh, become uh, very soon uh, common even in uh, smaller militaries who are using uh, sophisticated uh, technologies uh, to uh, protect uh, themselves, uh, to protect the civilian population, because uh, these technologies uh, will not only be used uh, in, in militaries to, uh, uh, to fight the wars and conflicts, these technologies uh, will be more and more uh, used to protect uh, civilians against uh, non-military threats. Uh, terrorism, uh, different uh, extremists uh, who are uh, quite often uh, extremely difficult to identify uh, within the crowd uh, may uh, be uh, uh, with a much uh, higher level uh, of precision identified by all these technological means. Uh, which li links uh, these uh, systems uh, and artific artificial intelligence not only to weapons but also to surveillance, to uh, different sensors. And while uh, for most of us uh, it would be quite disturbing uh, to accept that artificial intelligence will be uh, watching us as a big brother, I would rather call it a huge brother from everywhere. On the other hand, if uh, this huge brother uh, prevents uh, a single uh, attack uh, on civilians uh, using uh, either explosives or uh, any other means, I think uh, we would all welcome it. So uh, we will always have to uh, live uh, with uh, the dilemma of um, uh, security and freedom uh, and uh, to find proper balance uh, to what uh, extent we will allow the technologies to interfere with our freedoms uh, uh, for, uh, for having greater, uh, greater security. Um, yeah, I think this is, a, 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 again, another fascinating area of this discussion, and, and that's the um, expansion of artificial intelligence into other areas of, of the security sphere. Um, as, as I said at the start, most people think of artificial intelligence and military in terms of Terminator or something like that, but actually the role of artificial intelligence in, in security is much, much, much broader, and the implications of it are much more profound in, in, in the wider decision-making um, spectrum of, of, of security and defense. Um, so the amount of data that's generated today, the, the amount of information that security forces are able to access is extraordinary, but how on earth are you to make sense of all that information without having it sifted, without having it process, you'd have to have tens of thousands of people looking at all of the information, and, and even then, the, the, the problems of cross-referencing it and making sense of it. If you had a, an, 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 uh, a, a machine learning system, uh, an artificial intelligence uh, that was capable of, of, of looking across huge amounts of data, seeing patterns, making sense of it, and then being able to generate um, areas of concern that you can then act on, um, of course, um, any, any competent um, state is going to seek to, to develop this kind of technology to protect its own population. Um, so there's, there's a whole realm of concerns there to do with, 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 with individual uh, autonomy and freedom and, and, and civil liberties, etc. Um, that aren't new, but they are um, exacerbated by the the ability of, um, of, of, of such systems to operate in this way. Um, you said at the start about ethical concerns, Thomas, and, and it's, there's a specific ethical concern I have with the role of artificial intelligence used in security decision making, and it's probably not, it's not one that generally gets thought of, but I think it's 
incredibly important. And that is, um, warfare is um, a thing that throughout human history has been characterized by a thing called friction or the fog of war, uncertainty, the fact that when you want to do something, you can't make it happen because the real world intervenes. Orders get confused, um, letters get lost, communications get diverted. Um, everything is hard in war, um, a lot harder than you, than, than, than you think. And Clausewitz is very, very clear on, on, on this when he describes as the philosopher of war how war works in practice as opposed to how it works in theory. Um, if you're seeking to make decisions in such a complex environment, artificial intelligence and machine learning appears to offer a fantastic solution to solving a way through the fog of war. If you're sitting there with a, a group of staff officers trying to make sense of a, all the information that's coming into you, you're gonna, lef you're gonna be left with doubt and uncertainty, which means you hedge your bets and you're always very careful and wary about what you're gonna do next, precisely because you're aware that you don't have all the information. Now, one of my fears in the security environment and the defense environment about the increasing use of artificial intelligence and machine learning is that it appears to offer certainty. It gives you the answer. It tells you what the problem is and how you can fix it. Uh, and why wouldn't you go along with it? It's terribly clever after all. And my concern there is anybody who's watched somebody drive into a lake while following their sat-nav will recognize this. We tend to think that when a computer gives us the answer, it must be the right answer. And quite often it's not the right answer. And knowing when the computer's answer is right or wrong is a really, really important part of, 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 of not getting things horribly wrong. Now, if the worst thing that happens to you is you drive into a lake, well, that's okay. But if you're in charge of your nuclear missile defense and you get it wrong, the implications are very, very different. So I would suggest that actually doubt and uncertainty is not necessarily a bad thing in a defense environment. And anything that seems to promise a removal of that doubt and uncertainty could in fact be profoundly dangerous. If I may, I'll give you two examples from recent conflicts that, 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 that seem to illustrate this. Um, in 1982, um, the Falklands or the Malvinas were, were invaded or liberated, depending on your perspective, by the Argentinians. And a task force was sent from the UK to recover those islands. I'm not getting into the rights and wrongs of that conflict, but what I am interested in is a specific example that took place before the landing. Admiral Woodward was faced with a real problem. He knew that if the Argentinians knew where his fleet was, his fleet was incredibly vulnerable. And there was a 737, a Boeing 737 Argentinian aircraft that was attempting to track them using uh, a particular type of radar. If this Boeing 737 had managed to get a radar lock on the entire fleet, that fleet would have been incredibly vulnerable. So after near encounters with this Boeing 737, he received permission for the, um, for the rules of engagement to be relaxed to the extent that if, if this Boeing 737 came within range of the fleet, he could shoot it down. We're already in conflict, this is a war, 
He's, he's not doing anything that isn't permitted by the laws of war at this point. And London has agreed that if this threat manifests itself, he can engage this 737 and destroy it. So the next morning, the 737 shows up on the radar on a direct intercept with the fleet. It's coming directly at the fleet. If it captures the information that he knows it's capable of capturing, the fleet, all of the people in the fleet are gonna become incredibly vulnerable. And it's incoming. He's, he's authorized, according to the laws of war, he's allowed to press the button or give the orders to destroy this aircraft. But something doesn't feel right. He can't get a Harrier up there to look fast enough. There's nothing he can do. It's not responding to radio. He, what is he gonna do? I mean, really, he should have destroyed it with a missile to protect his fleet, but he didn't. Instead, he asked another question, which wasn't part of the calculation. He asked the question, can you, give, can you plot its flight path? And it turned out that this 737, it was definitely a 737, but it was on a direct flight path from Durban to Rio de Janeiro, which is an unusual flight path for a military aircraft that's supposed to be a threat. So he didn't authorize the release of missiles. He instead waited till the threat was definitely would have manifested itself, but took the Harrier up there. It turned out it was a Brazilian airliner and its transponder wasn't working properly. So it wasn't, it wasn't sending out a civilian um, signal. But if this was an automated system, if artificial intelligence had been in charge of the defense of the fleet at that point, would it really have been clever enough to ask that additional question, or would a, a civilian 737 have been blown up? And I think it would have been blown up. I've got a question for you. Uh, David said that doubt and uncertainty actually is, can be good in situations like that. Do you agree with this assessment? I do, uh, I do, and um, there are really many situations uh, where uh, automated uh, uh, systems uh, are uh, now facilitating uh, uh, the work of uh, people because uh, they uh, can process uh, large data in a very short time. Uh, they can uh, uh, be very stealth, uh, which uh, is also one important feature. Uh, they uh, provide uh, many more uh, um, capabilities uh, to uh, use uh, 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 not only the force, but uh, to prevent using using force. But what I uh, would like to offer for uh, you probably to think about, uh, and it goes uh, not only into ethics, but also probably uh, even uh, deeper, and that is uh, when we uh, speak about artificial intelligence, uh, which is in the heart of these autonomous uh, systems, we usually uh, speak about something that is uh, created by peop people. That means uh, uh, it is uh, mostly algorithms, created by people and then data. Uh, but uh, nowadays we are m more and more talking about um, systems that will, uh, will be self-learning, which means uh, they, they will uh, start creating their own uh, algorithms that will not necessarily uh, follow uh, human logic. So they will uh, start thinking in different ways uh, and they will uh, uh, provide uh, uh, new challenges unknown to us so far. And uh, uh, the uh, important question, or, or quite interesting question to me at least, is uh, when we speak about artificial intelligence, uh, uh, is artificial intelligence good, bad, or neutral? Is there something like a neutral artificial intelligence? Uh, will uh, uh, 
Chinese artificial intelligence be different than, than American? Or uh, will eventually artificial in intelligence uh, start uh, thinking uh, uh, on its own and uh, will come up with new standards? Uh, what, uh, what will be uh, the criteria on which uh, this uh, artificial intelligence will, will assess uh, what, is, uh, what is right and what is good? Uh, so I think uh, there are many, many, many questions that uh, will have to be answered. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we are uh, much more in the area of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, almost autonomous systems where a human is always present, at least at the beginning, it means initiating, and then he also should be present at the, at the end. With our own activities, uh, especially in military, we always, before we start any operation, uh, we have to receive uh, initiating directive. And then once we uh, accomplish the mission, uh, uh, we al also get a, a clear uh, signal or task uh, when, when to finish and how to finish the mission. Uh, so it should be uh, the same for the systems uh, which we call autonomous today. Uh, what will be the future is a big question mark. Yeah, uh, we have 17 minutes. I want to first time uh, open the floor. You know, if there are any questions from the audience for our panelists. Is it, do we have the mics? Or is that somebody coming? I was reminded of an old Star Trek episode from the original series about two planets who perfect warfare so wonderfully they just keep doing it for a thousand years because they've lost the blood they've lost the violence they've lost the death as long as i've been alive there's been every promise of this weapon will be the end of all weapons this will be the end of all wars obviously this probably is not the end of all wars this this progress we're making but i wonder more about the the right now the the 18 year war in afghanistan the the threat of uh, biological and uh, these kinds of weapons of war, how would a autonomous system protect us from biological agents, for example? Thank you. Well, uh, obviously, uh, I, I don't have a full answer, but uh, at least uh, I wouldn't call it autonomous in that, uh, that uh, respect. I would rather call it um, remotely operated. Uh, these systems can work in the environment where we humans cannot. They can survive there. So uh, they can easily be used uh, uh, to uh, uh, make a recce of uh, infected areas, uh, both by chemical, biological, or even nuclear. Uh, they can uh, be armed with a number of different sensors and um, analytical uh, um, algorithms who could uh, very quickly uh, work out uh, what are the threats uh, for, uh, for humans. Uh, but uh, using artificial intelligence, they can uh, also offer uh, uh, the best uh, solution uh, for the problem uh, much faster than, uh, than we could. So I think there are a number of, uh, of uh, uses of uh, these technologies uh, today against uh, these threats, but especially against the threats uh, of extremism and terrorism. Uh, especially when it, it's coupled uh, with uh, uh, improved uh, surveillance, uh, because uh, then it will uh, give us much better picture about uh, the threat uh, um, incoming or in a very uh, early stage, uh, not uh, when it manifests by uh, the blast or shooting. 
There was another question here. Uh, when you speak about these automated weapons, are they connected with satellites, GPS, internet, and and so on? Because my idea is that these satellites are owned or functional by American and China. And in the case of global conflict, I suppose that these satellites will be switched off for enemies and these automated weapons will be unfunctional. But it's my idea, so what do you mm. think about it? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's a, a very valid concern. Um, uh, network enabled warfare, the idea of having information transmitted across an entire organization, which is the type of thing that would allow these type of uh, weapon systems to operate effectively. Um, it's all predicated on the idea that the communications are secure and sound, um, and um, that could turn out to be a very dangerous assumption. Uh, we know that um, um, the signals can be interrupted. They have been. They've, we've had drones hijacked before, for example. Um, lots of lessons have been learned, but the, the idea that um, um, the idea that the transmission of information is always going to be secure and therefore your control is always secure is, 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 is a dangerous one. I, I totally agree. Uh, but that's not necessarily unique to this type of weapon system. That's, that's a general concern with warfare it's, uh, uh, and the challenges that it poses. Um, I would only add, uh, um, there are uh, many systems uh, um, for, for producing uh, um, global positioning. Uh, up to recently, even European system was working. Uh, hopefully, it will again. Uh, Galileo, uh, but uh, uh, China has its own system. Russians have GLONASS. Uh, obviously, Americans have GPS, and uh, uh, there are uh, other countries uh, who send uh, their satellites uh, who can provide at least partial uh, coverage. But uh, modern uh, modern uh, uh, weapon systems uh, are mostly working uh, with offline maps. So even if uh, uh, GPS is switched off they can still 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 function. Uh, and uh, there is uh, one more uh, argument. Uh, obviously, there are technologies allowing uh, big uh, boys uh, to shoot uh, down each other's uh, satellites. But of course, they know that their counterparts have the same capability. So why would they do it? Because uh, it would be mutual destruction of this capability. So uh, I, I would guess uh, they would uh, rather um, preserve the satellites, uh, not uh, uh, to lose their own. Just on that one, um, it, it's a non-military threat, but one which doesn't seem to be taken terribly seriously. But we're vastly overdue a, um, a, um, a, f a sun flare from the sun, um, which would do an enormous damage to the um, satellites that we've already got. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. We, we will, within our lifetime, see something like that happen. And the disruption that that is going to cause, a, a, a significant solar flare and the damage that that will do to our way of life, I think, could be is not overstating it, at least in the short term, um, could be quite interesting. And so it's always worth bearing in mind that threats are not always military. Yes, there is another front row question. So if we, in the future, if we eliminate the human, if we eliminate the human uh, element in war, and there will be only truly autonomous weapon system. Who, who are they going to target? Um, uh, 
we are not uh, we are not uh, uh, speaking about uh, uh, machines killing machines. Uh, what uh, we are talking about here is uh, uh, machines uh, being so smart that uh, they would be uh, used instead of uh, humans. In, uh, that means fighting for humans. But uh, uh, there will always be someone on the other side. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, with a human body who uh, would uh, be be a target, being it uh, a terrorist or being it uh, uh, um, a group uh, that uh, would uh, fight as a non-state actor. Uh, look at uh, the Islamic State, uh, uh, for example. Uh, these uh, will be uh, quite legitimate uh, targets uh, for uh, these weapons. Um, if, yeah, if I may. Yeah, machines killing machines. Uh, it's, it's, it's very similar to your, your question, sir, earlier about Star Trek and removing the risk from war. If you remove the horror from war, then why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you fight war? I mean, it doesn't hurt, does it? It's just machines killing machines. In the case of that particular Star Trek episode, it was, um, if I remember rightly, a, a, a strike on one planet would res result in a random selection of people having to stand in a, 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 um, a, a destruction machine uh, where they would, and then they would carry out a counter-strike, but it, it stopped looking like war. And yet it was clearly war, it's very odd. Um, if you haven't got blood in the fight, it seems easier to get involved in the fight. But how do you finish it? How are you invested in this fight? Why would you accept the result? Well, our machines have been killed by their machines, so, so, but what does that mean? That means we haven't got any machines left. Why, why would you accept that as, as the result? It, you, you've turned it into a chess match or something like that. Why, why would you concede that you have now been defeated? I, I don't think you would. I don't think you would concede that you've been defeated. So it would eventually return to something, the, the, the horror, the blood, the, the, the bloodshed, the, the destruction that we recognize as war. Yeah, I, I, I don't think this is a solution. I don't think this is a, a way of... This isn't going to stop war as we know it, unfortunately. It's just a different way of fighting it. Any other questions? Yeah. Uh, one question is, like, the war till these times always caused a humanitarian crisis. We can see it now. Do you think that using the autonomous weapon would a little bit lower this case? Like, for example, it will be s always a horror for people that something is bombing next to you you are sure it's not you because it's an autonomous weapon, so its target is really precisely. But do you think that the use of the weapons will better this situation in a way, or it will stay the same? Because as we said, it's a war going on, and if it's robot against robot, there is nothing like, but there are still people around, like a civilian. We uh, see already today a number of uh, weapons uh, that uh, are, uh, are called high precision. And uh, so uh, we all, uh, probably all agree that uh, uh, an artillery shell, uh, shell uh, would have uh, uh, entirely different, uh, different effect uh, uh, than a very targeted, uh, targeted small projectile. Uh, coupled uh, with a much more improved intelligence uh, provided by, by much better sensors, and then uh, the weapons uh, that uh, can uh, stay much longer in the area, uh, that can stay still, uh, not, uh, not uh, observed by the opponent. Uh, these, uh, all, all of these effects uh, can really contribute uh, to uh, reducing uh, uh, civilian collateral damage uh, to, to minimum. Uh, 
what we face today quite often in Afghanistan, uh, Syria, Iraq, that uh, all the bad guys are uh, using uh, unscrupulously uh, civilians uh, as uh, the targets, uh, knowing that uh, uh, it uh, uh, makes uh, our retaliation almost impossible. Uh, by using uh, these uh, technologies, we can still engage them without, without exposing civilian population uh, to a bigger threat. Um, a related issue which offers some hope, I hope, um, it's related to a point we were talking about earlier with the idea that um, remotely piloted or autonomous systems may lower the threshold to going to war, makes war conflict more likely. And on the whole, funnily enough, I think that's a bad thing. But there are circumstances in which it might not be a bad thing. For example, Rwanda. Why didn't the international community get involved in Rwanda? Because we didn't have enough stake in it at the time, maybe. Maybe the suffering wasn't obvious enough at the time. It was afterwards. Maybe we, you know. Um, I think a really large reason about why we didn't get involved is because we weren't prepared to put our own people's lives at risk to save other people. But what about if you didn't have to do that? What about if you could flood a region that is just about to descend into um, into ethnic mass orgy of killing with um, uh, UAVs, um, remotely piloted air systems with lots of cameras so you could be monitoring everything? What about if some of those were armed and you could intervene and you could, you could take out a, um, a Land Rover full of machete-wielding people who... Are, who you are very clear from what they've just done in a previous village, what they're going to be doing in the next. What about if you could intervene and do something about it? I think that might not be a bad thing. I think that there is the flip side of the lowering the um, threshold to intervention being a bad thing is that sometimes it, it might be a good thing, that we might actually be willing to do the right thing more often precisely because it's easier to do the right thing. Was a, there was a gentleman there. <coughs> uh, thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, first of all, a great debate, really. I really enjoyed it so far. And uh, my question will be focused on the fact that at the point, we are still talking about the conflict between two nations, two states, but autonomous weapons could be very eas easily used even in the interstate conflict and can be easily focused on certain minorities. And there are several states of the world which are, as we can see in media and everywhere, more than willing to focus some kind of persecu persecution against uh, certain minorities within the state. So uh, would you comment on this kind of threat which uh, autonomous weapons possess even for the societies themselves without foreign intervention? I would uh, offer uh, uh, one experience that uh, our Amer American colleagues made recently. They developed uh, a sophisticated software uh, for their uh, uh, law enforcement uh, agencies uh, of, uh, to, uh, for face recognition. Uh, so they checked it against uh, uh, the members of Congress and the system identified 28 members of Congress as potential criminals. Uh, another another uh, failure uh, was uh, uh, that uh, the system uh, was uh, much more identifying uh, as uh, uh, potential criminals, uh, people with diff different colors of, of, uh, of uh, uh, their, their skin. So 
Uh, there are obviously some flaws uh, which uh, still have to be corrected, and that's why I believe that uh, people uh, not only have to be in the loop, but also have to uh, watch the systems uh, quite closely. Uh, uh, that means uh, that uh, any uh, such a system needs to be under, uh, under strict uh, control and regulated by, by norms. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, a, a point that was or has already been made is that you, you, it's not just the good guys that get to use the technology. Whoever the good guys are, we don't have to go there. But it's not just the good guys. So um, actually having these discussions, having the debates, international debates, with all the potential actors and all the current actors and establishing those norms and agreeing the rules now before we're actually using it seems to be a really, really good idea. Whilst an outright ban, I'm very skeptical that that could be effective, but a regulation, an agreement of what the acceptable parameters are and even discussing what those acceptable parameters are shapes the way that these systems are likely to be used. Even if you can't agree the rule, the fact that you are debating and arguing about the rule tends to shape behavior. So eventually we might get the rule, but right now the important thing is to be talking, talking with all the different potential actors who might be able to do this now and in the future as well, and, and, and having these discussions, very, very important. I believe you have uh, space for one more question, if there is any. Uh, so I will form a question this way that, uh, as my colleague uh, suggested, there's this like thin, thin line between the uh, good and bad use of the technology on the, on the AI. So the thought is like, like the same situation when the government wants to, for example, uh, punish their citizens for certain not, way, not behaving well or so. Like in China, you have limitations how you, how you can work, think, and you're controlled if there shouldn't be in kind of misuse of technology, some kind of hardwired chip in the technology that cannot let you to shut down the people who are having different kind of opinion about the world, society, religion or so. Thank you. <laughs> you know, any technology can be, can be abused. Uh, so it, it is about early, uh, uh, creating uh, uh, public opinion through better uh, information uh, uh, and also creating public pressure uh, that uh, would uh, uh, make politicians uh, to come up uh, with uh, good rules uh, for using the, uh, these uh, technologies. If you look, for example, uh, today, China is uh, routinely using uh, a very advanced uh, face recognition technology to monitor uh, almost entire population. They developed uh, uh, a concept uh, of social credits and uh, uh, the system, the regime, uh, credits uh, people and, uh, based on their, their behavior. And then uh, they are depriving part of population, uh, not small one, uh, it's quite small in Chinese terms, but uh, about 27 million people is really not negligible. But uh, they, uh, they have uh, their rights reduced based on uh, this surveillance system. So I think uh, uh, this is something that uh, we really have to follow and uh, not, uh, not banning uh, the technology, but uh, rather uh, uh, making it working uh, for, uh, for our good and not against us. We ran out of time. I thank you very much for coming. I thank you especially our, both our panelists. Uh, uh, I've learned some fascinating things today. I hope you did too. Thank you.